everybody's happy. All right, Marshall. All right. It's time for you to sing a song about me going to the bathroom. You go (laughs) to the bathroom. You go do that thing. You go to the bathroom and just let Marshall sing. Yeah. Marshall, I'm back. Hi, Stan. Hi. I'm I'm getting uh, kind of eager to go for this this topic. What did we what did you title? Did you title this podcast something? I titled it something and we might have given it two different titles. Uh I called it expressive drawing. What did you call it? Uh I called it abstract expressionism. Okay. Do you have a lot to say about expressive drawing, abstract expressionism, or whatever we title this? I have some stuff to say, but well, I'm I'm hoping to have an uh more of a conversation, see where it leads. I'm ready for this conversation. I've been thinking okay. about it the last day. Okay, so first of all, is there any difference between expressive drawing and abstract expressionism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell yeah, me. Yeah, there is. What is it? There's two things we've got to deal with here. One is that from an art historical point of view, abstract expressionism is a specific movement that got named in the 1940s, but it has roots well before that in in other artists, which we can talk a little bit about that. I don't know that either one of us is prepared to talk about this from an art historical point of view. No. <laughs> but I'm asking I, you about what it is. But because there are <laughs> there are art historians in our audience, and I'm around college professors who know a lot about this, and they know how little I know about it, uh-huh. we should at least acknowledge that there is a difference between the art historical movements that get these labels of abstract art, non-objective art, expressionism, abstract expressionism. I think those distinctions should be made somewhere here early on. Okay. And then, then generalize the term. Okay. So, tell me what you know about the specific movement of abstract expressionism. Okay. And I'll try to keep this to about two minutes. Okay. Uh, It was named in the 1940s after World War II and the most famous abstract expressionist who everybody knew who Jackson Pollock was, and that's in New York and the US. But the roots of abstract expressionism go back into Austrian artists like Oscar Kokoschka, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. <laughs> oh my God. You, you, okay. First of all, I want to stop you. Do you know what Kokoschka means? No. In Russian? No. <laughs> it means poop. <laughs> Does it really? Kaka. Kakashka. Is that where the term comes from? I don't know. I, but I, I, I assume his name isn't spelled K-A-K. It's K-O. K-O-K-O-S-C-H-K-A. Yeah. yeah. But it's pronounced Kakashka, right? I don't know. I think. All right. Okay. Anyway, sorry for that side trip. Uh, if you look up his work, he really breaks the rules of traditional realism, as a number of those artists did. German expressionists in film also, uh, Fritz Lang, F.W. Murnau. They, the most famous German expressionist film uh, is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And it's characterized by not realistic sets, but really warped, distorted, frightening uh, sets. And... and uh, Maybe we should make a distinction here. You know, one of the greatest roots is Russian. 
Kandinsky is almost the father of abstract art. Do you know anything about him? Is he the one that, that drew the, the, the black square? No, that's, uh, you're probably thinking of Mondrian. Well, there were a whole bunch of these people. Mondrian mm. evolved into abstract expressive, uh, a- abstract art. John Cannaday would have made a distinction that abstract art can be representational. But when it becomes entirely non-representational, where there's no object to be named, he called it non-objective art. Okay. And artists like Mondrian evolved into that. Kandinsky evolved into that. Uh, who was another one? Rothko. Mark Rothko uh, evolved into that. Uh, okay, Marshall, I'm, get, I'm starting to get confused. Can you simplify it even down for me? My, my, yeah. my hamster brain right now is, is overloaded. <laughs> simplify this simplify this for me as if I'm yeah as if yeah. I'm Stan <laughs> yeah I, I apologize I did exactly the thing that teachers do at their worst which is just just lambaste a whole bunch yeah. of names I don't even know what this is yet and you're telling me five people that do it I, okay <laughs> okay let, let, let me let me let me uh, explain yeah uh, around the late 19th century in particular with van Gogh he's doing observational art but he's making it wilder, more emphasis on the lines and the way he puts down the lines in a manic fury, quite okay. expressive emotionally in the technique. Well, that started to get more and more picked up by other artists. And a Russian artist named Kandinsky at some point saw a piece of his work. He was a remarkable painter. He saw it at a certain angle in his apartment in a certain light where he saw that just the abstract design, I think he used the word, uh, had such splendor that it reminded him of a fairy tale. And he thought, why not just pursue the abstract design and make that the art? This was in some ways, in a major way, revolutionary in the 20th century to just dispense with subject matter altogether and do this as abstract design. And then by the time Jackson Pollock came along and started taking it to absurd extremes where you're just doing drip painting and randomness and chance and all that kind of thing, it really took as a movement. Does that help? It, it does, but I guess I'm, I still don't know the difference between abstract art and abstract expressionism. Or is mm-hmm. that the same thing and it, you, you, it's just the longer version of the same word <laughs> or the same movement? Here's the main thing I'm doing. Yeah. I'm, co- I'm covering for the fact that I'm not an art historian and that there are people who really know the nuances of these terms. Yeah. But we do know this. When abstract expressionism took as a movement, everybody knew it and made fun of it. And the most, I mean, the people who didn't, revere it, the most common thing was, that's art. My kid could do that. Right. And so, that split in preferences. Well, isn't that the point though? Isn't that kind of the point? Your kid can do it? No, I don't, I don't know about that. It's not like to show off how good you are as a craftsman. It's, it's more about feeling. Kids have feelings too, right? It's like about expressing just something beyond uh, the craft or the, uh, the beyond... Mm, beyond controlled craft and realism. Right. Yeah, yeah. Control. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, where, you know, a kid, it's it's actually 
more impressive than a, that an adult can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Because kids naturally would kind of do that. Right? When a, when a child puts that takes a holds a crayon for the first time, they naturally just kind of express whatever they're feeling at the moment, yeah, right? Yeah, you don't have yeah. to teach them that, but a, a, an adult feels weird doing that. Yes, but that's that 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 still doesn't quite hold because Mondrian's work was very controlled. Absolutely non-objective, what you would call abstract and very precise and controlled. So, okay. the definition gets wide. Hey, you know what we better do? Hmm. We'd better just move away from abstract expressionism <laughs> as a movement. Okay. And move to what you're talking about. Expressive because to drawing. me, the the value of expressionism Okay, now what what's expressionism? You just used that you you just separated that. Yes. So what's what to use expressionism? We've got two words here. Okay. Abstract would mean different from representational realism. Okay. So then when you say expressionism and you don't include the word abstract in there, you're saying that it can be representational expressionism. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Okay. Got it. And expressionism, which is can be representational, it could even I, I don't I don't want to get too nuanced here. Expressionism is something that what you were addressing is that once you learn craft, you start to submit to rules and logic and form and traditions and forget what a child knows, which is that I want it to be this way and I have a mood right now and my mood affects this. That to me is closer to the spirit of expressionism. And that's what I get excited about because that's what can help art students. Hey, you know, studying uh, abstract expressionism, abstraction and expressionism, uh, studying it as an artist is hardly necessary for abstract expressionists because they already know that they don't have subject matter. So they've got to make this painting work on its own terms. The people who I think get the most value out of the lessons from these artists are the realists because of the temptation to rely on subject matter as opposed to the other thing that is at the core of the basic elements of the painting, how they are arranged as an abstract. So that's where I want to go with this. I know we spent, I spent way more than two minutes. No, I think we got there. We're good. We got there. Okay. We got there. Okay. Why don't we have you ask questions so that you can guide me? Because right now my mind is racing all around to what, what yeah. I should qualify and what I, I neglected to mention. Well, this makes me think about my experience with this. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it, it, I feel, to me, it feels like a problem. Um, and I'll get to it in a second. And I think that maybe a lot of our audience can relate to this as well because so much of what we kind of talk about is craft and study and being disciplined and like, re you know, realistic stuff, like the academic training, like it all kind of points towards the same thing, which is trying to represent reality as, as much as possible and staying true to nature, that kind of thing. We, right? Like most of our audience is probably kind of headed in that direction. Yeah, I think so because the, 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 the term draftsman alludes to classic drafting skills, orthography yes. and, and perspective right. and those kind of things. Yeah. So, the, the problem that I feel a lot 
is this fear of being inaccurate. Right. And I think, again, I think a lot of our audience probably can relate to this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I see it all the time. People are worried about being inaccurate, mm -hmm. which is good for academic training, right? You, you, the goal is to be as accurate as possible, to, to get your proportions right, to study your anatomy so you know how it works, so that you're accurate with the way you're depicting the forms. Um, and this fear of like being judged for not doing it correctly the way it is in reality, I think is what holds me back from being more expressive because of that very rigorous training I went through to focus on accuracy that now it's just like ingrained. It's so deeply ingrained as a pattern of my thought process when I create to just be accurate mm -hmm. that it's, it's so difficult for me to, to, to relax and, and like let go of that and be more expressive. Stan, I think what you just described is one of the most common phenomena of people who get well-trained in their craft is that we get too well-trained in our craft and forget that there's more, that it's supposed to be a vehicle for something else. Let me tell you what a fellow teacher, he was, he was my teacher actually, uh, who I admired very much for his expressivity. Oh, just, he did just great work, Bob Miller. And I said, if you had four years with an ideal student, say at the age of 18, you're going to train them for four years to make them the best they can be, what would you do? He said, I would spend the first year teaching them the craft. That's anatomy and perspective and rendering and control of the, the lines and all that. Mm -hmm. I'd spend the second year teaching them to forget all that and draw like a kid. And then I'd spend the third and fourth year teaching them to fuse the two, to be working with both. Now, that, that four-year program, I wrote that down and I've been thinking about it ever since that it might be better to just start the fusion a little earlier, but still his concern, <laughs> yeah. this is, this is an, uh, an old guy who knew a lot about how to train artists, uh, trained one of my friends really well in expressivity. That was the big balance is don't forget to be a kid once you've learned to be a grown-up. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of relates to what I said in last week's episode or maybe a few weeks ago where I was talking about how at the Russian Academy, you know, while they're training, they're, they're trained to be really, really accurate, all that stuff. And then when they're done, it's like, okay, now let's move on from this, these exercises and let's now create art. Yes. And so, they usually, or not, I don't know if usually, but, but a lot of times they'll go away from being realistic and, and more expressive. Yeah. Um, I remember when I visited the the Repin Academy, I don't know how long, six, seven years ago, um, eight years ago, um, I saw there was, there was like separate exhibits uh, and in one room, it was like the postgraduates. Right? It was people after they graduated and I was walking through, I didn't know that this was people that had already graduated and I was like, ooh. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, these are rough. What, what is this? <laughs> huh. Right? And then 
And then I went into the next room and it was like the, the students at the time. And I was like, oh my God, this stuff is awesome. That's so wow. like, it was wow. beautiful. Like, and, and then I was, I was told like, oh, well, those are the ones that like graduated. I was like, oh, what's up with that? It's like, well, they're trying to forget. Like, they don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Your bias was toward the ones that displayed more skill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They yeah. showed off their skill. They were yeah. practicing the skill to try to, you know, grow it. Whereas yeah. when they're done, they try to forget it and work on something else, right? Yeah. It's kind of like what you just said. Like the first year you learn the craft, the second year you for learn to forget the craft. I guess there they spend four years learning the craft, and then when they get out, they 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 learn to forget it on their own. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew Wyeth, who emphasized in one of the Thomas Hoving interviews that he did not want his work to be just realistic. He wanted it to be abstractly exciting as well as realistic, and he said he strives yeah. for that balance. And yet, somewhere later in his life, he said that when he looked back on his work, the thing that he didn't like was subject matter. He said there was too much of it, which means that he was so concerned with subject matter that apparently he felt like he went overboard with making it too realistic. Yeah, and I, I hate to to constantly bring up fashion. Well, actually, no, I don't hate it at all. I love it. But... I don't. Need, I don't mind that you bring up fashion <laughs> over and over because but... people don't know about him, and he was such a great yeah. artist. Yeah. Yeah, top three ever, in, in my opinion. But mm -hmm. I think he's like to me, he's like as close to the perfect balance of those two as it gets. To yeah. me, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything closer where he has enough abstract qualities in his art but they're still very much representational of reality like yeah it, 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 and the abstract qualities of it are just so attractive i agree it doesn't even matter that there is also a human there being represented and actually just in a very beautiful way um even if you take away the abstract qualities of it mm -hmm. it's still just like a really well drawn human Right, like there's there's still a lot of accuracy to it, right? He's not breaking things. He's he's designing them and pushing them so far, much farther than most artists, most realistic artists, or most representational artists. Um, but it, they don't break. He pushes them so far, but they still don't break, right? And, and that ability to do that is just so amazing to me. You're right. He abstracts. You know, one thing I was thinking about for like. Like how can how can people that were trained in this more academic approach learn to be more expressive and let go of this? Um, I was just thinking about this for myself, and it, I, I thought of the the whole improv, you know, yes and that maxim of, of respond <laughs> yeah. with yes and yes and. So when, as you're drawing, and this could just be more of like an exercise, not for professional work, uh, it's just everything is yes and to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and just keep practicing. Don't erase. Just keep going. Everything that you do is correct. <laughs> just imagine everything is correct. No nothing is wrong, and you just keep going. Um, and you try to uh, adjust based on what you've already done. So instead of thinking it's wrong, you think, okay, now like what I just did. How can I? How can I keep going with this to make it good? If you if it's still looks ugly. So, if I steered wrong, how can I steer right? Wrong. And if I exactly. steer wrong again, right, right. I shouldn't even use the word wrong. But well, if I yeah. steered away from what I intended, how can I turn it into something? You will most likely usually 
steer in a direction you didn't intend. Yeah. You try to enjoy the journey. <laughs> you try mm -hmm. to be okay with seeing where it goes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, I mean, it's like you just have to let go of the idea of accuracy. Because the whole thing of like, this is, I steered wrong. It's all based on the belief of some, something being even capable of being wrong mm -hmm. or inaccurate, right? But which means there's got to be a right way. Exactly. You don't think about whether this is right or wrong. You just, you just kind of go along for the ride and you see where it goes. It's like if you go for a walk and you're not, your purpose isn't to get somewhere specific. It's just to kind of enjoy the, the, the outside, think about stuff, just walk, right? If you get lost or if you're not really sure, you, you've gone somewhere and you're like, oh, hmm, but you just like keep going. It doesn't matter. You're just going to enjoy walking and then eventually you'll, you'll re recognize something and be like, oh, okay, I got to go that way. And then you'll, you'll steer back and come back home. Mm -hmm. But you'll still enjoy that walk. And that happens to me all the time, actually. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll sometimes intentionally just kind of like go somewhere new yeah. based on where I feel. And then I don't know where I am, yeah. but I just keep walking. And eventually I'll, 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 I'll recognize something. Yeah. And I don't think that where I'm walking is wrong because I'm not trying to get somewhere. I'm just walking. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, I, I hope that kind of makes sense. So it's like, just draw, just draw, just do some stuff. And maybe that'll teach us to let go and be accurate in our normal work where we're actually trying to produce something intentionally that has a goal. Yeah. It's a, it's a different spirit. Yeah. Then than trying too hard. It's the value, of, part of what you mentioned there is the value of unstructured time, uh, the value of exploring. Uh, it's an experimental mode. In fact, one of the key words in the expressive drawing class that I teach at the community college is experimenting. You teach an expressive drawing class? I teach a class. I've done it several times. Marshall, how many classes do you teach? <laughs> Lots of them. You're, almost, you're always mentioning this class you teach. Yeah, I've taught about 20 different <laughs> titles of, of semester courses. But well, hey, the, the expressive drawing class. Yeah, tell uh, me more about this. What's the structure of this class? The first half of the semester is to experiment, experiment, experiment with uncontrollable media. Oh, interesting. Like wet media that you can't really know what it's going to do because water has its own personality. Uh, with randomness, with things where you just mess about with this medium and make random marks and then look at them and respond to them and more. A half a semester on that and we continue with that through the end of the semester. But in that second half of the semester, we use some of those expressive experiments to conjure, to look at them and say, do they give me ideas for representational pieces so that I'm starting not on a foundation of carefulness and tightness, I'm starting on a foundation of freedom and exploration where you do a hundred pieces or more that you lose control over, but then you say, there's accidents that happen in this. There's things mm -hmm. I would have never planned that really look good. I had students find, I, I had one student in particular, in fact, it was Christina Cornette, who she was already a professional by that time. She took the class and she helped evolve her style 
by that half a semester of experimenting. It was that unstructured time, that meandering, let's play, there's no right or wrong, and that I could do this. And she came up with, with characters based on the randomness. It's also turned into a very popular way to do character designs, right? You start with a shape, you start with a random shape, you start with a blob, you look at it and see if you could turn it into a character. That's sort of the structure of the semester. First half is absolutely experimenting, and the more you can relinquish control, the better. Second half is to continue doing that, but also in the process, see if there are some of these things that you might segue into representationalism. Yeah. That's kind of like if you go for a walk and you know you don't care where you're going, and you end up just stumbling upon a new burger joint that yeah. you end up going to every day because you ended up liking it so much. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, and I'm also aware, just in having said this, that there are people who would say, yeah, but once you find that burger joint and you say, I'm going to go into this, you're turning into a, a, a hardening shell of tradition. And there are people, I think, who are Wait, so what? committed. What, what do you mean? What, how, how's that hardening into a shell? Because now you're going to do it repeatedly and you're going to lose the sense of wonder. Yeah. Then, I mean, then, some things will stick. It's not like you, you can go on a walk to discover new things that you never end up doing ever again. Like the, the, the point of discovering new things is to discover the things you really love and s keep those. In yours, in my opinion. Well, exactly. The reason I mention what? it is that, <laughs> Wait, what? that there are people who are so committed to abstract expressionism as a philosophy that just to take the second half of the semester and segue into representationalism means you're missing the whole point. You've got to, got to get your subject matter in there, don't you? Got to get your representationalism in there. And there are people with that bias who feel like that you've compromised the whole point which is to get rid of the subject matter and make it work on abstract terms. Like, do you really have to put lyrics to the song? No, you don't have to put lyrics, but if you discover, it's not, what I'm saying is not about adding representational elements to it. I'm saying if you go on this journey and you discover something that you like, mm -hmm. you can keep that thing that you like. That thing that you like might not be something representational, but you might discover a new technique for splattering paint on the canvas that looks really cool. Yeah. That could stay. You can keep that and be like, oh, I just really like the way it looks and I'll yeah. use that whenever I feel like I want it or the way whenever I feel like bringing that out, right? You can still <laughs> use that to express. Like there's nothing that, it's, it's not like whenever you're doing expressive work, you're, you're always doing something you've done before. You've always held a brush in that way and you, for some reason, you stuck with it, right? You, you can't possibly not repeat things. Yeah. You're, you, you are always repeating things that for some reason you, you, you thought worked, you, <laughs> okay. that you liked. You're not going to hold a brush differently every single time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, here's where I think we need to start going back to some, some structure of, of what we're discussing, which is that when we're talking, we know what abstract is. Abstract is, well, actually, let me take another minute on abstract because abstract. Abstraction, yes. Is ironically the most concrete art of all because the things on the canvas do not pretend to be something else as a representational illusion. They are yellow rectangles, black outlines, and red squiggles. So, you've got this, this irony that abstract art is the most concrete of all because it just is what it is. Okay. Uh, and that there's a spectrum 
from the stuff that's entirely abstract to the stuff that is representational and looks like a window into a world. And that the more we move in the direction of abstract, the more people tend to call it stylized, like a cartoon. Okay, yeah. A lot of Affection's appeal is how he stylizes right, yeah. the surface. Now, that's the abstract part. Okay. The expression part. What is it that we're expressing? I think there's, there's two things that we would express in art. One is experience, mm -hmm. and experience would be mostly with subject matter. Uh, in the 19, early, 19, uh, early 20th century, 1930s in particular, there were these wonderful painters, many of them in New York, George Bellows and uh, Reginald Marsh, who did city people doing city things, really evocative of their experience of living in cities. That would be, I would say, subject matter tends to express our Idaho childhood or the African city we lived in. But the other thing that we express is more difficult. It's emotion. Yeah. And somebody said that a line is a seismograph. A line on paper is a seismograph of human emotion. Ah. What's a seismograph? It's a device for measuring earthquakes. Mm, oh, okay. If this is a jittery line, it might be because I'm irritated or fearful. If this is a lyrical flowing line, it might be because I've got a certain mood that is calling that up. Mm. And so, the analogies to music may be the most useful analogies between pictorial art and music because lyrics in a song are like subject matter. Oh, I know what the song's about, that, that he's in love. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got a broken heart. Uh, if you put the lyrics in a foreign language, you don't know what the song is about for subject matter, but you still might get an idea of what the song is about because of the vibe of the rhythms and the lilt. And then if you take the lyrics away altogether, you have pure abstract music, but nobody's going to say that their favorite music without lyrics isn't expressive. It's expressive in that the, the composer, Aaron Copland made a big deal of this in his What to Listen For in, in Music. The composer has a, a specific intent, an emotional intent to evoke a mood, and the listener who likes it and listens to it over and over, uh, to them it's evocative. It does conjure up that mood. This is what all pictorial art should do. When I use the word should, it's what all pictorial art can do. Hmm. Even though abstract expressionism in the 20th century was a major revolution in the value of art and the perception of the world, it was nothing new at all because abstract expressionism has always been around. When you look at Islamic art, where they did not represent the, the nameable world because of one of those Ten Commandments. They spent centuries evolving designs and tapestries and mosque ceilings that are extremely evocative. Okay, so how does this help to train artists who don't want to be abstract expressionists? Two things, and the first one is less than a minute, maybe 30 seconds. Okay. Learn a little bit about the movement. Learn a little bit about 20th century and what happened with the changing perceptions. Cubism, fauvism, futurism, 
Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's a whole bunch, even surrealism, because surrealism had a quality of take the the rules of the rational mind away. Yeah, and, and study it with an open mind. Yeah, yeah. Right? I feel like a lot of people approach those different genres as if they're like competing. Yeah, characters or something like oh I'm only realism and then they yeah. look at the other artists that did other styles or you know other types of art and it's like you got to be against that or for something but you like if you just study that everything with an open mind and see that they're all just artists doing something yeah um, you could learn from from them something from them you don't necessarily have to learn how to paint from them but you maybe learn a little bit about how to think or how to feel or or whatever the best book I know on it that opened my mind to it was The Story of Art by Gombrich. Who's Gombrich? He's an author? Yeah, he's the author. It's a long read, but it's an easy read. It's very uh, geared toward uh, people who don't know anything about art history. And he, he's, <laughs> so it's geared for stupid people like me. Not only does he not complicate things, he treats it as a story so that okay. one thing leads to another and then people felt this way and then there was too much of this and there was that. So, he takes you with a through line all the way into the 20th century. It was the, the first time I sat in art history classes trying to understand abstract expressionism and abstract art and it just I was 19 years old. I wanted to be a representational artist. It bored me uh, until I got interested in Kandinsky. I chased Kandinsky for a while. But I still didn't understand it. Kandinsky wrote two books, Point and Line to Plane and Concerning the Spiritual and Art. And I got both Dover versions, read one of them, and could not get through the other one because it was too philosophical. But uh, Gombrich, I keep wanting to say Arthur Gombrich, E.H. Gombrich. I'm not even sure what his first name is. I just looked him up. Um, Ernest Gombrich. Gombrich makes it really easy for you. Huh. And I think you'll enjoy it too. It's, 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 it's a mind-opening read. The beginning of the description of this is, The Story of Art, one of the most famous and popular books on art ever written. <laughs> and, and rightly so. <laughs> That's okay, great. I, I need to read this then. Yeah. You'll uh, enjoy it. It's, it's a, it can be a couple months of reading. Why doesn't this get passed around in, in all the circles online? It's all, you know, Loomis Bridgman. <laughs> you know, it's the same five books that everybody talks about. Let me tell you why. I know this from being in colleges for almost 40 years. There is a division between the people who want to be mere illustrators and comic book artists and entertainment artists and the pop stuff and the rabble and the (laughs) ones who really care about the evolution of art with a capital A. As Mm. much as you might wish there wasn't a division, there is a division. I've watched it happen in art departments. Ah. Where there's almost landmining each other's classrooms, and <laughs> that's, that's what I'm talking about. The people on one side don't even know it's confirmation bias, as you've talked about. Yeah, the yeah. ones on one side are never going to study. The ones on this side are never going to. But yeah. if there could be crossover, that's a really good book for crossover. Simon Sh- uh, Shama's. Uh, do you know Simon Shama? No. How do you spell Shama? S C H A M A. Oh, don't miss his videos. The power of art. They okay. are so involving and intense. There is not a single one of them that it, that will bore you. And they'll open your eyes up to several key artists in art history with opinions. Simon has opinions. Does he have like episodes on different artists? Yeah. 
Okay, cool. How many yeah. does he did he does he have just like a, like a giant series or is it just I've only seen eight of them. There were eight in the I think there were eight in the DVD series that I bought. Uh, okay, right when it was when it was new. And is it all the like most famous artists from the 20th century that you hear about? Pollock and Rothko? No, and no. no, okay. No, he goes back to uh, previous centuries. Okay. Uh, he's got one on Bernini. That oh, cool. is, oh, I love the one on Bernini. Cool. Well, I like videos. <laughs> These are, if you sit down and give them one hour attention, you will not be disappointed. Okay. What was your favorite one? Well, which one should I start with? I think the Bernini one. Bernini one. Okay. It's where he made an analogy between physical ecstasy and spiritual ecstasy and its, its manifestation in Bernini's ecstasies. <laughs> Simon Schumer's Power of Art, Bernini. That's what it's called. Oh, that's all it's called. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Does it have any synopsis after it? It's so slow. They just play 30 seconds of music after everything. Yeah. Come on, start talking already. All right. Anyway. Okay, you're just talking about ecstasy <laughs> from the very beginning. Okay, so Gombrich and Shama both are good introductions, but there are many others. Ask your art history teachers and tell them, tell them you're easily bored and that you want the stuff that's going to help you. Now, now that we've spent 15 minutes on something that I said it would take one minute on. Isn't that, don't you expect that at this point, Marshall? Why yeah. don't you just always say, I just need 15 minutes on this? Yeah. And then I can surprise you by spending 14. Oh, exactly. Okay. That was the first thing. Get to know a little <laughs> about what people call abstract art, non-objective art, abstract first. expressionism. We're almost an hour in. That was the first. How many things we got? The second one is the one that is the most valuable for it's besides knowing it historically. Some people who don't know anything about the history of this yeah. could be the ones who do it best because they've got another thing. And that's what I aim at as a teacher, not to teach art history, but to train artists to bring out their best talent. Yeah. And I found two ways to train that are balancing skills. I call them memories and reveries. We use them in the composition class. And memories, memory drawing, is simply Nicolaides exercise number 14, which he calls the daily composition. He says it's the most important thing in the whole book of the natural way to draw. So if you want the one most important thing is to take 15 minutes to draw something that you remember, that you experienced, and to do this every day. And there's a page detailing in it. How long do you spend on this drawing? No more than 15 minutes. Okay. And don't try to do them well. Just try to do them because it is an exercise to get your mind recalling experiences and imprinting them better when you're living your life. And what does he mean by don't try to do them well? You can judge if it's good or not, but just if it sucks, keep going anyway. <laughs> Is that? Yeah. I need to make a distinction. Okay. Nicolaides has an exercise called memory drawing that is not what I'm talking about. The one okay. I'm talking about that I call memories is what he calls the daily composition, which is a drawing from memory of an experience you had. Daily composition. Yeah. Exercise 14. And he says, these compositions do not have to be right. They can be all wrong. And then in all caps, 
The important thing is to do them. 365 of them between today and this date next year. <laughs> what if it's a leap year? Well, see, he's not accounting <laughs> for everything. We're supposed to say... Uh, now I'm confused. Yes, and 366 <laughs> every four years. Uh, if we, it will be helpful if you keep this up for a year, and it will be twice as helpful if you keep it up for two years, and, and so on. <laughs> now, that is, that is one exercise which is about drawing on experience. And I add to it, I suggest that students limit these drawings to line only so that okay. we simplify it. I'm just trying to get a line drawing of something I remember. So they are a record of experience that is only trying to remember the experience and then later potentially transformed into a whole new compositional treatment. I'm going to do one real quick. And you tell me if I did it wrong or right. I'm not going to spend 15 minutes on it. I'm gonna, okay. but I just want to see if I'm even going in the right direction of what this exercise is supposed okay. to be. Okay, yeah. because yeah. I, I, I'm, I have some. I might do some things and be like, no, 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 no. Don't put it in a rectangle. You do it and tune me out. If I have well, the right spirit, if I have I'm the right a, spirit of this yeah, exercise. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. You do it, tune me out, and I'm going to talk to our audience. Stan, right now, who has earlier mentioned that this business of right and wrong and should is something that can be set aside for creative processes, and now he is concerned with whether he's going to do <laughs> his memory drawing, rightly or wrongly. Oh, isn't it delightful? And I'm not worried about any kind of accuracy or anything being wrong. I could totally see already. I'm like, oh God, this is bad. This is wrong. And I'm like, you know what? Shut up. <laughs> Turn it, it off. It is not wrong at all. This Turn it off. Yeah. Spin around. Smile. Embrace. Say, it's good to see you. Okay. And this is, this is from memory, but it's a very, very uh, um, recent memory. I'm so glad you're doing it. Yeah. Look at me still talking when there's science to do. Feeling this out, okay? Okay, let's see. Okay. Uh, yes, but you did one of the things that I said, let's leave it out. <laughs> shading. I, I yeah, shaded, yeah. right? Ah, but, but that's exactly but, it. But you said that I could, you, I could say, fill this in. Didn't you say that? <laughs> yes. But my recommendation as part uh -huh. of tr training, we're training in experience and emotion. Well, all we're dealing right now is experience. Here's what I saw. I'm trying to recall something accurately. Do it with lines. A accurately? Wait, what do you mean accurately? That's somebody in front of a window in a room? That's, that's you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Is somebody in, the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in front of a window? <laughs> yeah. I love how you just described yourself. <laughs> hey, just go read the Nicolaides pale, uh, page detailing all this. Uh, I recommend keeping it to line only, and here's why. Okay. I'll do Later. it. Do I, am I more expressive? Am I not supposed to like lift my pencil off the page? Like, no. No, that's it not doesn't important. matter. Okay. There is one struggle and that is to within that rectangle or on that page, get a line representation of something you saw this week, <laughs> something <laughs> mundane, something that was in your field of vision. It is an Exercise, not something that has to be done right or wrong, but you're trying 
to get it representational. Oh, I am trying to make it. I'm trying. I'm just trying to like draw some funny shapes. <laughs> I'm doing this wrong, Marshall. You're doing it wrong because you're 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 yanking the rug out from under my entire training thing of the memories and reveries. I haven't even gotten to reveries yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Memories I'm exercises the part of your brain that recalls and tries to get it accurate enough, correct enough, okay. but to struggle I'm, I'm with doing it. this totally wrong then because- Yeah, because you're turning it into a composition. You're jumping ahead. Yeah, I'm trying- Oh, that's- Okay. I, I am. I'm thinking of just like shape design and stuff. Don't think of shape design. Think of who was where what. There were several people over there by that counter. There were a couple people putting food in their plate. There were two others sitting down. One of them looked bored. But if I try to be as accurate as possible, I'm just going to start like constructing things and, and figuring out the perspective of stuff. And Which is okay, but in service of getting on that paper, the thing you remember from earlier this week, <laughs> 15 minutes not to do it well, but just to do it the best you can over and over to exercise a muscle to get it strong. Oh, I'm doing these jumping jacks, but they're not... They're not creating any electricity. I'm doing these jumping jacks, but they aren't really like a dance. I'm doing these jumping jacks, but nobody's recording them. I'm doing these jump, jumping We're doing the jumping jacks so that you can get exercise. This is an exercise in recall. Yeah. Okay. I'm limiting it to lines so that we don't turn it into a decorative composition. Hey, Forget well, about making it look good. That's better. That's, that's the idea. Yeah, that's, but, that is the idea. But I, I was trying to follow that thing that he put in, in, in um, the, the thing you, you read, his quote, he was saying, don't worry if it's right or wrong. And so, I'm yeah. just like, okay, I don't care if it's wrong. <laughs> but now you're saying you got to try to make it accurate, which is like, well, then you have to worry if it's right or wrong. Yeah. I am not teaching it exactly the way that Nicolaides did. <laughs> this seems like two contradictory he things. He does later... He does later make you uh, evolve the exercise to where you have to go back and compare. So, that you divided that rectangle yeah. to where there was a certain amount of bookshelf space and a certain amount of window and you're trying to remember what was it? How much was the, the ratio? I wasn't trying to remember exactly the overlap of the window. In fact, I got it wrong <laughs> but I didn't care. But then you notice it next time. It is a pattern of every day drawing something you recall and trying to get it representational of the thing you saw. I call them memories. Mm -hmm. And I say, limit them in a line so that you can put the tone in later when you're in a creative mode. Shall we move to exercise number two? Wait, how many exercises are there? Two. Okay, yes, let's move on to exercise number two. Exercise number two, I call reveries. These are abstract inventions composed within a rectangle that you do for the joy of them. Sounds like what I just did. Well, you blended the two, which is the yeah, whole point okay. of this is to blend, separate yeah. the two. Got it. Uh, you can do them in response to the names of emotions. You can do them in response to music. Oh, that's a whole thing to pursue, to listen to a piece of music and do a little abstract expressionist design within a rectangle. Oh, so these don't have to be representational. These could be shapes that do that mean nothing. They are best not representational. 
And can they be tonal shapes? They can be tonal shapes. They can be memories. Can they be colored? Can I do these yes. with oil paint? Yes. Oh, God. That sounds so much fun. <laughs> I'm going to do that after this. The memories one is to hold you accountable to some kind of objective criteria, which is that I saw this. Memories are what I saw. Reveries are what I want to see. And the only constraint we put on them is try to make them not subject matter representational. Yeah. Try to make riffs on circles, riffs on cactus shapes, riffs on the way that music. Oh, when you do it in expressive drawing, one of the things we do is we listen to short bits of music without lyrics and do reveries to them. And then when you've played Gregorian chants, and then polyphonic choral music, and then Led Zeppelin, and you put the drawings up on the, put these reveries up on a wall to look at everybody, you can tell which is which style of music. Now, this yeah. is a highly creative exercise oh, yeah. that children do naturally. You can tell a kid to, to draw something that sounds like this music, and they will run with it. So, we've got two different parts of the brain that we're training, and we're training them separately one more factual, one more fanciful, one representational, one abstract, one what you've seen, one what you want to see. And then we're exercising both sides of the brain, and these are only exercises. However, the memories ones, if they're done in line only, can be looked at later in a different frame of mind and say, what if I darkened all that area and clumped it together? What if I fragmented this and started to put light on there that breaks it up? And you can take these memories, which are like the genre painting of Dutch masters who would just do a woman pouring drink out of a picture. You've got something that's mundane, but as you study composition and master composition, you can take the mundane and bring wonderful patterns to that line drawing. So the memory drawings, which were only an exercise, can turn into finished pieces if you're inclined to. And then the reveries. The reveries. I love doing reveries. I want to spend... I'm, I'm going to teach expressive drawing for the rest of my life as long as I have opportunities to, mm -hmm. just for the opportunity to take an hour and do little doodles within a rectangle and say, hmm, oh, oh, hey, ooh, wow. <laughs> and if they don't work, but you do a hundred of them, there's going to be some in there that are so you. They are expressive of your experiences, of your, of your visual biases, and of your emotions. Can you show me one of your reveries? Yeah, yeah. I'll be back in, <laughs> in one minute. Got it. There he is. Stan, my yeah. sketchbooks tend to be about 60 or 70 percent reveries uh you've mm. seen really yeah you've seen some of these before um, I, I usually just see weird things yeah. but they're all they're usually representational things they're usually something real no, see those are those are th real things those, that looks like a like a a cell well the, the reason that they're real things is because i know how to draw spheres and blocks and stuff like that so I tend to find three-dimensional forms in there. But enough about my reveries. Wait, 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 no, no. I want to see more reveries. Keep, keep going. I, I'm really curious about these reveries. Some of them are not within rectangles. 
Okay, let me uh, see in those. Fact, many of them are not within rectangles. Well, let me see that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a spherical thing that, that doesn't represent anything real, but it's just a bleh, it's a blob of stuff. Yeah. But it's, it's still the same concept that it could be a flat shape that doesn't mean anything, or it could be a three-dimensional shape that doesn't That's mean right. anything. It's just a, a volume that you're designing. Yeah. I assign these to the composition students, and some of the composition students do wonderful stuff. Even in the last few weeks, we've had uh, a few students that have done wonderful reveries, and they've turned into finished compositions. And you say, yeah, but they're abstract. Mm -hmm. Well, remember, we can take those memories which are not abstract, they're representational, and find abstract patterns in them to turn them into compositions we like. And we can also take some of these reveries that are purely abstract and see images within them, representational subject matter within them, and now we've got the composition mostly worked out with the mood. So it would be like, one is like taking lyrics and putting them to music. The other is taking music and imagining lyrics on it. And so that's why memories and reveries are two balancing exercises for composition students to get you strong with both representationalism and abstraction. Now I got a question. Okay. Right, well, first, before my question, I have another question. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> my first question is that second exercise, reveries, do I also do that one three, for 356 or, 300, or 365 or 366 days? <laughs> this is like, do I have to eat food every day for 365 days? No, no. I'm just saying the way he prescribes it is that you do... Well, he did the first one. He said 365 days. He did the first days. one. The second one is kind of my own invention. So this is not a legitimate exercise. Yeah. I thought it came from a dead guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only things that are good are from dead guys. No, I'm sold on this as a dynamic of training because I've been teaching the subject for a long time. And this is, one of them's hard, one of them's a fun. This is a great way to do it. Okay, got it. Okay, so here's my real question now. Okay. How, after doing this for a year, let's say, mm -hmm. how do I know that it was worth it? Because he says that it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. The, the, the whole point is that you do them. Yeah. Now, okay, I did them. How do I know if I should do another year of them? What, what am I looking for as the cue of this was successful? Uh, I think that the only one who can answer that question is the artist <laughs> no. who says, hang on, let me finish. But okay, how do I judge that? You judge it by saying, do I need this anymore? Need and this? <laughs> you look at your work and say, it's missing a quality. And then you look for the prescription. You look for the regimen that will help that. What is it supposed to help me improve in? Composition? The memories. That one is to train you to notice things more. Notice things. Got it. Okay. You drew what you remembered being at the gym or on that walk and yeah. you, oh, you struggle with it. Then when you go there, say, hey, I didn't notice how. Oh, yeah. it's opening your eyes. And does it also train you to remember things? Yes. Okay, great. Cool. Awesome. Okay, that great, great. Now, what about the second one? How do I know that? What was this one training me? The second do? one trains you in the freedom 
to do whatever you feel like doing within that rectangle, knowing that if it doesn't work, there's no consequences. So if my fear of being inaccurate gets less intense after a year of doing this, then this was successful. Yes, yes. We're overcoming. We're overcoming the fear of doing something wrong because I've got hundreds of these that I get to do. Stan, what it really is, yeah. it's, it's playing around with composition without any restraint of subject matter. And therefore, right. you can see how I compose. I, my compositions are obvious. Marshall composes where he packs everything in there that he can pack. If there's anything empty, it has to be filled. And there's a lot of bulbous shapes. And that's just the stuff that I've found myself drawing by instinct for years. Somebody called it a visual jungle. Uh, there's different ways uh, to describe these things. Describing them metaphorically is good too. Memories and reveries are two exercises that help balance each other out. They are not the only two exercises in composition. Studying masters and taking photographs uh, are another set that balance each other out nicely. We're mentioning these because our topic today was abstract expressionism. And when you're doing a memory, you're not trying to do an abstract expressionist piece. You're trying to do something that is based on reality right. and representational. Yeah. And when you're doing a reverie, you're trying to take the subject matter out of it as much as you can and just do an abstract expressionist piece. I think that's why I was confused in my when I was trying to do the, the memory one. I kept trying to add some kind of expressionism in there because that's what, the, what we're talking about. Because you weren't paying attention to what the whole criteria was. I was paying attention to the episode, Marshall. <laughs> Thank you. That is more important. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, how, how do master studies help you be more expressive? Well, they don't help you be more expressive. That's, uh, that's <laughs> oh, exercise. So what do you... They, they could if you're, if you're studying... Expressive Remember, artists, right. Van okay. Gogh was not called an expressionist because the term hadn't really been invented at that time, but Van Gogh was a great expressionist before expressionism. Do you know Kate Dekalwitz's work? Oh, oh, of course. Of course. Yes. Oh, she is one of the greatest expressionists, although I don't know that that label is put on her, but mainly expressing grief and of the experience of war. Yeah. No, I, 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 lo I love this. No, uh, th there's, um, I forgot what this one's called, but the one where it's, it's a yellow background and it's, a, it's like a, someone holding a little child or something and it's obviously just so much pain in there. Lots of people losing their family members, which she did too. Yeah. I, I remember seeing that one, I think it was last year, two years ago, and I was it like it made me feel mo like real, yeah. real emotion, which is really rare for me when I see a, a painting to feel emotion based on what's happening. Yeah. I usually just feel like inspired by the craftsmanship yeah. when I look at art. But this one real, I was like, oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, there's so much this. Yeah, that's why it's so, such good expressionism, huh? Because she's expressing a feeling and that's I right. feel it too. <laughs> That's, yes, yeah. and it's, it's with it's two so ways. It's so beautiful. It's with the subject matter, but it's also with the treatment of the subject matter, the composition. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah, they, they, they had a show of her work at the Getty just before the lockdown that I went back to twice to look over those works. They are so moving. And about 30 years ago at LA County Museum of Art, there was a self-portrait 
I was walking through the museum and I caught this woman's face in black and white, which was her face, about life size. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that for 10 or 15 minutes to have a good talking to uh, from her to me about life and, and pain. It was just a really arresting image. And it was not just because of her face and the subject matter. It was also because she treated it with a gravity that was emotionally expressive. Yeah. Everything, it seems like, it, all her art just seems like there's so much pain. There is so much pain, but there was so much pain uh, in her world. Yeah. That, that would be an example of expressing experience and emotion. Wow. Cool. Well, that's a, that's a great one to leave off of. <laughs> Realists who want to get good at composition would do well to see every piece metaphorically as an abstract expressionist piece. Why don't we do a reverie together? Okay. And that's how we'll end the episode. And then it'll end with the image of the, the, our two reveries. Why okay. don't we somehow get in sync? No, not right now. After oh, this, okay. after this, we'll okay. do a real one where we'll okay, spend yeah. like 15 minutes on it or something. Yeah, okay. Right. But let's, let's get in sync somehow. Okay. We can, we can play the same music. We can think of the same something. You were talking about cacti, cactuses, cactus. Yeah. 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 Um, so well, let's pick something like a cactus and and uh, Gregorian chants. <laughs> you know, I'm going to let you choose the music and let me choose the uh, the phenomena. Okay, I like fruit shapes and lots of strands going through them, like wisps of smoke going around things, foreground and background. That kind of looked like the the reverie you just showed me on the yeah. last page. Yeah, <laughs> so I you do just that all use the that time. Ah, uh, no, 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 Marshall, you got you have to. Also, get away from your own patterns and just do something different. You got to explore. I? Yeah, you just described the reverie that you just showed me. Every every <laughs> one that comes to mind is one. Another one is is something something with radiating lines out of it. I do a lot of radiating lines. But stop. Okay, I'm picking it. You're just describing your own stuff. I really like the cactus one. Okay, then let's do the cactus one. Okay, cactus yeah. one. It, it's got so many things coming coming to mind. Okay, yeah. and then. Okay. As far as the music, do you want to pick the music? I got... Uh, no, no, I you pick one. the music. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, do you know the band Roiksop? No, I don't. I'll send you a specific album so that we're like on, in sync and on the, in the same sound. Are we going to do this while we've got the 4K camera on? No, we don't even have to film it. You, you could just do it. I would like to do it where we don't, yeah, where we don't film it. I'd like to do it where yeah, I get to go just, private, yeah. Yeah, go private, dude. Actually, I don't want to be watched. I, I just I want to be able to let go and, and just be in the yeah. zone on this. I like it. I'm going to do an oil painting. I'm going to do a Micron or Pilot G2 cool. uh, pin because that's what I've been using lately because I like to work small. Okay, Marshall, thank you for your um, brilliant lists of things. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's reveal what we did or will do but did okay <laughs> depending on where you are chronologically at this moment okay <laughs> okay here goes boom whoa that's yours there we are that's what we did okay there's the fruit of it there's mine right there there that that's our stuff i don't know if we did a good job or not but there it is but you should go and do better <laughs> yes i need to do 364 more of these 
Or is next is 2022 a leap year? 2020 was a leap year. Okay, Marshall. Thank you. This was fun. I actually really enjoyed this episode. Thank you. I trust <laughs> that there was goodness in it. Hopefully, the listeners will also enjoy it. What are we going to have them put in the comments, if anything? <laughs> um, how much they enjoyed this episode. Yeah, whether you like this episode, that's legitimate. No, no, no. No, how much they enjoyed it. Oh, how much? Yeah. Yes. Not whether you, whether, but if you oh, liked no, it. Oh, no, they enjoyed it. They yeah, enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, sure. Now, tell us how much. From a scale of... Nine to ten. <laughs> cool. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Look at me still talking when there's science to do. Look at him still talking when there's science to do.